Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear in this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter. There have been some exclusives in the newsletter that either have not been made public anywhere else or were at least first seen in the newsletter, so be sure you're signed up for that. The folks who get that have even gotten access to discounts lower than anyone else. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles, my guest has been a musician his whole life and has DJed professionally for 13 years. He currently runs No Ego Records, a label that helps musicians and content makers through cheaper licensing of their songs. Plus, he is the CEO of Drop Tracks, a platform that helps record labels, independent artists, and producers organize and promote their music. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Paul Loeb. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Uh, It's great to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you've got a lot of experiences to draw from that we'll be talking about today. I mentioned it a little there in the intro, but let's get started first to give the audience some perspective for the foundation of your career by talking about your having been a musician your whole life. How and when did that get started? And just sort of take us through that journey. Sure. So I think the earliest that I can remember would be age five when my parents started me on piano lessons. We had Mm. a piano in the house that was uh, my mother's from her family and and was passed on to her. Um, And they paid for piano lessons and I didn't practice all that often. And so I'm sure they were not too thrilled about that. (laughs) But uh, that was the the first kind of experience that I had. Um, learning how to read music and and learning the instrument. And then later in middle school and high school, I picked up some other instruments. I started playing the clarinet. I started playing the trumpet in marching band and in jazz band. Um, When I went to college at USC here in Los Angeles, I played trumpet in the marching band. Um, And uh, throughout the college experience, I also started DJing. So you know, fraternity parties and other social events, they would have DJs um, playing, you know, a combination of hip hop and electronic music and pop music and whatever the, the crowd wanted to hear. And so I started, uh, you know, teaching myself how to do that primarily from from watching others, from going to clubs and, and you know, watching YouTube videos and, and just buying the equipment and mm-hmm. really trying it on my own. Um, and yeah, I, I, I made quite a bit of a a career out of that for some time playing around um, clubs around the Los Angeles and and Hollywood area and uh, yeah ultimately led me to like you mentioned start a record label and then ultimately my company drop track that that I'm sure we could talk about later when exactly did you start having this vision of saying hey this is fun being a musician versus hey you know what I think this is something that I want to actually devote my career to meaning working in the music business so I think 
music has always been a passion of mine and so has business from an early age. I've been an entrepreneur and I, I started my first company in middle school teaching <laughs> people in my neighborhood how to uh, set up their first computer and hook up their printer and hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So I've kind of always had the two as separate passions and you know certainly a way to combine both of them uh, into a business or a hobby as a way to get paid for doing something that you love and, and are passionate about and excited about getting up every day and, and going to work or, or participating in, uh, you know, it's just something that has been with me my whole life. So listeners, I can remember way back when having an entertainment attorney on the show and we were, gosh, probably a good three quarters of the way into the interview. And he kind of finally spoke up and said, well, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was basically saying, I feel like your audience is being shortchanged here. You got an entertainment attorney on the line, and I'm not really delivering kind of what I think they want to hear. And so, Paul, with you, there's so much that I really want to get into and not hold back and really let you share a lot with the audience. So let's start getting into some practical lessons here for those in the audience who are aspiring performers that listen to the show each week to learn from me and my guests. I know you have some thoughts initially on how those folks should market their music. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. So I, I think one of the most important things for artists of any size to think about when marketing their music is what is the goal? Like, what it, what do you define as success for yourself? Is it, you know, having your song played on the radio? Is it having your song featured in a TV show that you watch? Is it having, uh, you know, a top 10 billboard hit? Is it having, you know, some other thing that you can name and quantify and you set that as a goal and then you can work your way backward from, okay, how do I get to that goal? How do I achieve that? What are some examples of other artists that have taken a similar path or one that I could take to achieve that goal? But if you haven't thought of that from the beginning, then your chances of getting there are very, very small. So I would say probably the most important thing to do from the beginning is really identify, okay, if I wanna have a career in music, if I want to call myself uh, a music producer or a rock star or um, you know, make a living from that craft, what does that really mean? What, what is an achievable uh, result that I can go after and then work backward from the steps to, to get there? And what I like about what you're saying too is that I think the fear is that some people will just go out there and say, well, I just want to be successful in music. It's like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down at all. So I think what you're saying, Paul, is they really need to kind of have some specific goals and objectives and know exactly where they think they want to head, yes? That's right, because just saying I want to be successful in music could mean any number of things to any number of people. Uh, and if you don't quantify that and if you don't set a goal for the next level of success, as it were, that you want to achieve, then there's no way to, to really create a plan to get there. And it's not going to happen by chance. You're not going to just all of a sudden get discovered. The, the odds of that happening are, are very, very low. Um, what, what you need is a, a realistic objective, and then you can take a, a sequence of events, a, put a plan into place to actually get there. Yeah, because otherwise you're taking the... Indiana Jones approach, which is just making it up as you go along, and there's not going to be a whole lot of success at the end of that recipe. That's right. And I will also say, you know, there 
are examples of lots of independent artists that have been successful or, you know, reached that top 10 billboard spot or had their song featured on an Apple commercial. Um, so it is achievable, right? These are people that seemingly are plucked out of obscurity and become mm. some level of, of successful overnight. But what you don't see is the years or months of work that went into that campaign that allowed them to get there. And whether it was just an artist individually or it was them working with a team of a manager and an agent and a lawyer and a business manager and who knows how, who, however many other people had to be involved before they were placed in the one Apple commercial that you could you know, discover them overnight. Yeah, yeah, and good point because also you don't want to just sit around and say, well, maybe I'll be an overnight success at some point because maybe you will, but maybe you'll win the lottery. It's really not something that you want to put all your chips into. It's just the approach of, well, maybe I will get discovered and maybe they will use my song in an Apple commercial to use this example or whatever the case is. So, you know, I know that it's a love-hate relationship that music creators have nowadays, but let's talk instead then about how to earn money from music other than streaming. Sure. So streaming, um, you know, is like you mentioned, there's a like a love-hate relationship. It's a blessing and a curse. The access to all of the world's music uh, is available for anybody for free if you want to add supported or for $10 a month or even less and you get, you know, high quality audio streaming to any device you want. It's fantastic for the consumer. However, for the artist, um, unless you're a very, very big artist and have tremendous market share of the listening hours, think of, you know, the, the Taylor Swifts of the world, the money that you make from streaming is, is pennies or little, literally fractions of the penny. Yeah. Um, and it, it adds up, but really only again if you have tremendous volume and you have millions and millions of, of listens every month yeah so what i would encourage any artist like who th is thinking about making it or making a living from the, from their music don't start with the record sales with the music streaming because the money's just not there today um you know i would have told you a year ago the money is in live music and touring and, mm. and certainly there's a tremendous amount of uh, opportunity there, but with the pandemic that that's, yeah. that's changed, hopefully, you know, we all want that to come back. I can't wait uh, for concerts to return. But in the meantime, there are still other ways that artists can earn money. And the, the one that I think is the easiest to do um, as, you know, somebody yourself without having a team built yet is really to focus on licensing and to get your music um, placed in films in TV shows and commercials and video games in YouTube channels. There's just so many opportunities now for placements where there is a budget um, that they have for music, whether it's a, you know, original score or it's music that they pick off the shelf from you know iTunes or, or wherever there is a fee involved with that and a royalty that you can earn and that income is a lot more predictable than the you know point oh 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 six cents <laughs> per stream that, that you're going to see on Spotify. I want to pick up one of the examples that you mentioned in there for clarification. You mentioned YouTube channels, so I think, and that's why I'm putting this in the form of a question. I think you're saying no, not just an artist having his or her own YouTube channel, but are you implying about ways to get placement on YouTube that can result in monetization? 
Absolutely. So, you know, anytime that your music is used in a YouTube video, whether or not it's just a music video, like think of a cooking video with some music in the background or a, uh. a sports video with, uh, you know, action sports, but there's a soundtrack to it. Um, there is a royalty that's generated and you can monetize that on YouTube using content ID or working with any number of uh, industry partners that'll take care of that for you. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a good strategy is is working with or trying to identify YouTube influencers or YouTube stars, people creating YouTube videos and sending them your music to use in the background. Uh -huh. um, and then, you know, you can link to it in the description and, you know, build your fan base that way a little bit as well. But it also can be a, a real revenue opportunity if it is a viral video and, and gets a lot of views. Wow. Wow. That's brilliant. I, I honestly don't know that we've had anyone come on the show and talk about that. So really good insight there, Paul. I, I really like that approach. It's, that's very different and not something that, at least that I've heard a lot about. Uh, so now after I just tried to cast aside the whole focus on streaming, how can an artist, in your opinion, get their music featured on playlists? Yeah, so with streaming, there is a lot of focus on playlists. And there's two different types of playlists these days. There's the playlists that the streaming service themselves curate and then there are playlists created by third parties and and you know playlist curators and these are real people that you can get in touch with you can find their contact information you can send your music to them and ask them to play it uh, or put that in the playlist now there's a lot of caveats to this they get bombarded with you know cold emails and you know who knows what however many twitter dms you know on a daily mm. basis so there is a proper way to get in touch with these people. Um, there is, you know, some thinking that you should do and only send music that's really relevant to the type of music that they have curated in the past and that they put on their playlist and and really, you know, set your expectations smaller to start. Go after these playlist curators that have playlists of maybe, you know, 500 to 1,000 subscribers to begin with. If, if not lower, don't try to go after, you know, the playlists that have, hundreds of thousands or millions of subscribers don't necessarily try to go after the the gigantic spotify owned or apple owned playlists um as your first attempt because everybody is trying to go after those mm -hmm. and you can find success or find you know placements with a greater quantity of smaller playlists that will then influence the spotify or apple music algorithms as you gain traction to uh... eventually get based onto those bigger plays, playlists automatically without you having to, to you know, bombard the editor at Apple Music yourself. Interesting, interesting. And I'm glad you painted that picture because many years ago when I used to work in sports, there was somebody who used to say, well, we could sell one ticket to our game for a million dollars or we could sell a million tickets at a dollar each. And so what I was picturing with what you were saying was exactly that was well my song the good news is my song is on a hundred different playlists the bad news is those playlists don't get very much activity but it's a case of yeah but your music's out there a lot as opposed to like you said trying to get that one golden ticket and saying well if all you're trying to attain is just to get your song on that one golden playlist that you really just have as kind of your holy grail then you're going to be at this for quite a while and you're going to be scratching your head an awful, awful lot more than at least the small wins of saying, okay, I got it on another playlist today. It may not be the biggest one out there, but it's getting my song out there that much more and more. 
Exactly. And and that should ultimately be the goal, right? Is listeners, new fans, people that ultimately are going to come to your show when you're touring. Um, having the exposure on the playlist is great, but it's a means to those ends. So if you can, like you said, be on lots of other smaller playlists or have other ways of marketing your music to your fans that are not, um, you know, at the behest of, of one of the big streaming services, even better. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's lots of opportunity. So... You started to mention this earlier. I want to go back and revisit it. It's no secret that so, so many artists are really all trying to get those coveted film and TV placements nowadays. Can you share some insights on how they might get their music placed in movies and TV shows? Sure. So this is something that uh, I had to discover kind of the hard way they I, I might have taken one class in school that was related to music publishing and, and sync licensing and but never really the the method that it happens or the way to, to actually do it mm-hmm. um so just like i was talking about with the playlist curators there are real people that are involved in making movies and tv shows and, and youtube videos and they have titles like music supervisor or music director or music editor or if it's a small enough budget film could be the director could be the editor um and a lot of times they are looking for independent music that they can use instead of having to fork over big dollars for major label music and for mm. very recognizable popular music. Okay. So a very popular strategy that that I did, um, you know, at this point many years ago when I first started my record label was, you know, making songs that sounded a lot like um, songs that were on the radio, songs of, of similar sounding electronic artists that enabled us to get those placements because it was good enough for the purpose of being in the background of a club scene in the TV show. Um, and they could pay us a fraction of what it would cost to license the major label music. So again, the, the strategy is, is very similar to, to what I'm sure I'll keep coming back to. It's, it's like identify the people that are best suited to place your music. So whether that means you watch a TV show every week um, or you're you know a huge fan of whatever show that's streaming on Netflix, you look at the credits, you look at IMDb, you see who is the music supervisor, you find a way to get in touch with them and say something like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of your work. I really enjoyed this music that you placed in this TV show. By the way, I make similar music. You might consider it for a next episode, right? It, that, it's that simple, but it takes a lot of prep work to identify the right person to contact, to have the right type of music that fits whatever they're working on. You don't want to make the mistake of just blasting your music to every music supervisor that you find on on LinkedIn because nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, they're just going to throw it away because it's not relevant to, to what they're working on. So you really have to be proactive about identifying that and, and really trying to be helpful because you're, you're helping them do their job. Okay, but I want to dig into that just a little bit further because I get it and I like the idea about be familiar with the kind of music that they're using so that you're sending them something that's relevant. But the chicken and the egg could go the other way and say, well, instead of me sitting around and watching 47 different TV programs and trying to hear who's using what, what's wrong with me trying to shop my own music and go the other way with it and say, here's a body of work that I have and I'm contacting you sort of blindly, but I've still done a little bit of my homework 
And I kind of, you know what I mean? Instead of only reacting to what some shows are putting out, it's, hey, this is the kind of music that I do anyways. So, and I I don't want to say, so what do you think of it? Because like I said, obviously you've done a little homework and pre-qualified these people before you contact them. But what are your thoughts of going that way, Paul, instead of the way you initially described? Yeah, so by all means, I didn't want to prescribe that that's the only way to do things. That's just one strategy that has worked um, for me personally and, and for others in the past. But but by by all means, yes, the, the goal is to align your music with the type of content you would want it to be featured in mm. and that would be a good fit for you to build your fan base and for that audience to be exposed to your music. Okay. So by nature, if you're a singer-songwriter, you're probably not pitching your music to like the next Jack Bauer action movie, right? It just doesn't fit. So like just having that level to, to step back and, and find what would my music actually be a good match for that audience? Where would it like, what type of scene could I envision hearing my song in the background of? Um, and then it take it as more of that approach and, and then try to find, um, maybe not shows that are on today, but shows that have been on in the past. And again, try to find the music supervisor or the production house or whatever, you know, company put on that production and get in touch with them because they're probably working on the next thing that you don't know about. Good, good, good. I like it. So even though everything has gone so, so indie these days and the old traditional model has darn near gotten blown up, clearly an artist is still going to be attracted to the idea of having a record label behind him or her. Your thoughts on how to get signed? Yeah, so this is a tough one because, like, for all the things that you mentioned, uh, there are still a lot of benefits to being signed by a major label. They have tremendous budgets for marketing that they can put behind your music and expose it to a a worldwide audience with incredible speed. Um, There are a lot of things that you potentially lose out and and things that you have to give away um, in exchange for that, but still it's an opportunity that a lot of people do want. Um, There are... Many ways, I think, to to get the attention of a label these days. It's it's easier than it has been in years past, but there's also a lot more competition, a lot more people making music that want to get signed. So I would say, you know, two of the most popular strategies that, that I could recommend is finding labels that are actively seeking demo submissions and it could be they have on their website a submit form it could be that they're hosting remix contests or submission contests where they have a a release and they're trying to get other versions of it um, in different styles and as part of that you get your song released on the label Hmm. Um, there there's a uh, you know a lot of labels that are now using data really to to help predict what is going to be the next big thing and some of the streaming metrics and youtube streaming data and soundcloud streaming data um if they see a spike or they see you know a a big jump in in listens in a certain part of the country for your song um if you're able to attract that type of attention that that goes you know raises an alarm on their desk that says hey maybe this a and r scout at warner brothers we're going to go check out this interesting band because they're getting popular on social media um so all all of these types of signals um again just result in more opportunities for somebody to get the attention of a major label um and you know really work that with them uh to expose their music to a bigger audience that way I like it. I like it. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles by longtime musician Paul Loeb, who runs No Ego Records, 
which you can find more about online at noegorecords.com. Paul is also the CEO of Drop Tracks. Their website is droptrack.com, and I will put a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. You will also find links there for the company on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you can engage with them through social media. And stick around, we will be talking here in the second half of the show, both about No Ego Records as well as Drop Tracks. I want to remind you to make sure that you're signed up for the weekly e-newsletter. Just go to the show website, nhte.net. All you have to put in is just your email address. That's it. And I will not spam you. I just send out once a week to let you know about the newest Now Hear This Entertainment podcast episode. Paul, let's have you share with the audience next about how to build your online brand. Sure. So one of the core elements to all the discussion we've been having so far is, okay, you have this opportunity. There's maybe a person that you want to get in touch with to send them your music or to pitch your music for whatever opportunity, whether it's a playlist or a licensing deal for a TV show, you're going to send them some communication. could be an email, could be a text message, could be uh, Instagram, DM. Somehow you're going to get their attention and they're going to say, who is this person? They're <laughs> going to try to find out who, who are you as an artist? Who is this person that's contacting them? Are they legit? Um, who have they worked with before? What have they done? All the types of questions that you would have if somebody reached out to you and, and was interested in working with you. Yeah. So they're going to Google you. They're going to look you up on Facebook, on Instagram, on you know TikTok, whatever the platform of the day is. They're going to want to see what your presence there is, especially if you're trying to get um, signed to a, a record label deal. They want to see that you have some momentum, that you have um, established some fan base. It doesn't have to be on every single platform, but if somebody Googles for you, they're not going to see you know, zero results is end story. Uh, I, I also really recommend that you have your own website website as opposed to the social media platforms is something that you actually own. You control, you can put a sign up form for your email list where you collect those emails that you can remarket to those individuals later. Unlike with Facebook and you have to pay to market to your entire audience. And that's a separate story, but I, I, I really recommend having those social profiles up to date, as silly and as basic as it sounds, a lot of people don't do it and it can make you stand apart. You know, having consistent imagery, whether it's a professional um, headshot or some photo of you playing music. I don't know how many times I see Instagram photos of, you know, singer songwriters, but there's not a single picture of them with a microphone or a guitar. Mm. And it, it just looks like from their Instagram profile, they're just a model. Mm. Um, and it's, it, there's a disconnect, right? If you're a record label, or you're, you're somebody looking for a musician and you look th through somebody's feed and there's nothing to indicate that they're a musician, you, you start questioning, um, do I have the right link? Is this the right person? Is, you know, and on any number of things can start happening in your head. So it's really important just to be consistent, have the, the brand for yourself, how you project yourself as an artist, as an individual, um, really consistent and up to date across platforms is, is probably the the biggest thing I could recommend. Well, and if we get back to what we were talking about before with wanting to get, uh, I'm not even going to say so much on a playlist, but let's say film and television placement, 
as soon as you do get the attention of that music supervisor, he or she, like you just said, is going to want to go and see something. So there's a certain level of expectation where they're going to expect you to have a website. They're going to expect there to be maybe a SoundCloud embed on there. They're going to expect there to be maybe a a YouTube embed or things that show them, like you said, that you're an artist. And right off the bat, that could be the very small difference where they say, gee, I'm not really sure that, is this just a hobby for this person? And boom, maybe just like that, they may move on to the next person and say, maybe this song over here is the one that I want to use for film and TV placement here instead of this tire kicker that's contacting me that really has a very weak online presence. That's exactly right. I mean, especially with music supervisors, what my experience is, is they want to create an ongoing relationship they don't want to just have one of your songs that they place once and then they're done Mm. it takes a lot of work on their end to set up the you know infrastructure for handling the royalties and the publishing administration and they really want to you know build a a lasting relationship with content creators so to that end like the more that you're able to uh you know really work with them in in the long term and, and and have that relationship from the beginning that is not so transactional Um, but that they can tell who is this person, who am I getting involved with? Is this somebody that I want to commit literally years to working with the amount of time it takes sometimes for the accounting and even get paid for some of these placements. That's, that's the other thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what I would recommend. Well, there's something that you started to mention that I was really excited about. I want to go back to it. Listeners of this show always hear me encouraging them to sign up for the weekly e-newsletter that I send out. So instead of them just taking it from me, though, Paul, share, if you could, why artists should build their email list instead of only focusing on a social media following. Right. So this sounds like it's, you know, who is this old man talking about email? Like exactly. No one uses email. Exactly. But that's that's simply just not the case. Email has still one of the highest open rates of any messaging system. Um, people read their email. They read their email to look at things that matter to them, work-related things, family-related things. Um, you're not, as opposed to social media, your, your messaging, if it comes in email, is not competing for your attention against you know photos of babies and cat videos <laughs> and everything else that's just scrolling by on facebook um but more importantly as i was alluding to earlier with emails as a musician you own that audience you can export your email list from you know mailchimp and take it over to constant contact or export it to gmail and send the emails directly yourself um, there's portability you own those relationships with facebook somebody likes your facebook page you don't own that relationship. Facebook owns that. You 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 get to use it sometimes. If Facebook feels like showing your post to that user on a given day, um, which is up to them. Uh, so just in terms of reachability, the ability to remarket and pitch your music over and over again, let your fans know about new releases, the best way to do that is to build your email list. Well, and let's not forget there's also that unfortunate incident that we hear about that takes place, which is someone's Facebook page getting hacked. Terry Barber was a guest on this show and had a very successful music Facebook page, and it got hacked. And he did a guest blog for me that I posted on the website where he talked about how devastating that was for him. So again, if you're just relying on social media only, and all of a sudden your Facebook page goes away, then what? Right. It's just, it's totally out of your control. You know, I'm sure there's some recourse and eventually 
you know, things will be straightened out. But in the meantime, you've you've lost some of the audience or, or you've you know, become uncredible because of that. That was had absolutely nothing to do with you. Way back on episode 222 of the show, I talked about the following a little bit with Scott Page. He is a saxophonist slash guitarist for the likes of Supertramp, Pink Floyd, and Toto, among others. And he actually plays several other men's and sings, too. Paul, what is blockchain for music? Well, wow, that's a loaded question. So, <laughs> uh, blockchain in general, I think, is good to distinguish from cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. Um, so maybe we can start there. Blockchain uh, has become real popular lately. Certainly the price of Bitcoin has been going up. And, and so a lot of people get interested and it gets a lot of media attention. But the underlying technology that supports the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin um, is blockchain, which is a distributed ledger is, is the technical term, which really means um, instead of one copy of a receipt existing, everybody has a copy of the receipt. Um, or in the case of music, instead of one person having the copy of the sale between you and, and the streaming service, now everybody can verify that you listen to a song. Um, so to, to expand on that, blockchain for music is really the encompassing term for a new strategy, a new um, you know distribution model that that is in progress now. There's a number of companies and a number of initiatives that are trying to build this with the ultimate goal of disruption, of disrupting the traditional music distribution model of of major record labels and the streaming services and uh, the system of gatekeepers. However shrinking it may be that still exists today. And so the promise of blockchain is that everything's going to be transparent and, you know, music can be uh, accounted for and all of the stakeholders and, and musicians that were involved um, in the production of music can be paid immediately. Every time somebody listens to a song, we'll mm. divvy it up based on their percentages. It'll be instant. Um, we won't have to have these middlemen. We won't have to involve lawyers or wow. accountants. It'll just be automated by the software that handles it in wow. real time, wow. um, which is really interesting, um, right? I, I think from a, a musician standpoint and the ability to connect directly with fans, make a living, um, earn money directly related to the content they produce um, without giving up huge percentages to the, you know, the industry, traditional uh, gatekeepers and middlemen, I think is a fascinating idea. Um, whether or not it actually comes to fruition anytime soon is, is a different story. There's, you know, blockchain itself is, you know, 10 years old or so. Um, there's been a number of mu music related initiatives. There was dot blockchain, Ujo music. Now there's Audius, there was tune. Um, so, a number of these keep popping up and, and I follow them closely. I, I think it's great if somebody really can figure it out and, and get enough traction to where big artists prefer using this and, and major labels are not, you know, actively trying to dissuade the usage because it, it entrenches on their business. So there, there's definitely a lot of open questions, but it, it's kind of like the Wild West, just like Bitcoin <laughs> and all of the blockchain in general. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. So we've talked around a lot of different parts of the business, which I've really enjoyed. What, what about thoughts, Paul, on how to advertise as a musician? So I will take this back to what you first asked me, which was about how to market your music. And with advertising, 
it's good to have a goal. It's good to have some achievable result that, that you want to come out of the advertising because otherwise you're just throwing money away. And there's two main types of advertising in the world. There is brand or display advertising, impression advertising, and there is direct response advertising. So in the first case, you're just trying to get your name out there. You want people to see your logo. You want them to, to see your name. Um, you want them to see a billboard with, with your picture on it. That is brand advertising. That's impression advertising. Um, the other type of advertising is direct response. You want somebody to click your ad. You want somebody to go to your website. You want somebody to buy your product. You want somebody to open a letter in the mail and respond by putting their credit card in the envelope or whatever the case was 20, 30 years ago. That type of advertising is direct response advertising. So as a musician, you have to think about what is your goal and how you can possibly achieve that with those two primary methods of advertising and which one would be best suited for you. If your goal is to increase the streams on your Spotify track, then perhaps your best advertising method is a direct response Facebook ad campaign that links directly to your Spotify track. And so X number of people are going to see your ad on Facebook, Y number of people are going to click it, Z number of people are going to play your song on Spotify. You can do the math to say it's going to cost me this amount per click. This percentage of people are ultimately going to play my song at the end of it. Um, I earn X number of cents or dollars per stream on Spotify. Does the math add up? How much money do I have to invest in order to make money from this in the long run or to anticipate that some of these people that are playing my music will become fans, they'll follow me, they'll stick around, and it won't just be a one-time shot. Yeah. And to be honest, it's it's uh, there's not a clear answer about uh, is this the right decision to do, period, or how much money it, it's going to cost. And the best advice I can give is, is you can test it, and you should test it. Um, and you should set aside some budget, some money, uh, and it can be as little as little as a dollar per day, and you know maybe five dollars a day. So you make a commitment of one hundred fifty dollars for one month. You're going to test Facebook ads driving traffic to your song on Spotify, and you see what it does. You can look at the math at the end of the month. You'll see how many people saw your ad, how many people clicked it, and then you'll see on Spotify for artists on the analytics how many people played your song, um, and you'll get an idea. Like if I multiply this out. Um, is this profitable? Am, am I spending $100 on Spotify or on Facebook ads and getting $150 out of revenue? That would be great. Then you should invest a million dollars because you have one <laughs> right? Or more likely, are you investing $100 and you're getting $10 back in revenue that might take three months for you to even get paid? That's probably more likely at the beginning, but that's not the case for bigger artists with an, a huge established fan base. Um, because for them, if they drive some traffic, it's going to cause virality and they're going to get a lot more free traffic and organic impressions mm -hmm. than you would as, as an independent artist. Yeah. So just things to consider. But, you know, I, again, I would take it back to have a goal and then think about is advertising the way to get there? What type of advertising? How could I achieve that? And then is it cost efficient? Okay. Okay. Well, I obviously want to make sure to give you the chance to talk about drop track. If you could please explain all about that to the listeners. Sure. So yeah, drop track is my company that really has a goal of helping independent artists 
get their music heard by industry influencers that can expose it to a bigger audience. So over you know my career, I found that trying to go after you know building your fan base on an individual one by one basis is very time consuming. It's very expensive. It's very hard, um, especially in a world where you can't play live and you know meet people face to face. So the better approach I found is to get your music heard by people that already have a following, people that already have an audience, and get them to expose your music to them because some of their fans will become your fans and you can grow that way much faster. Um, so what I have, have built is this tool called DropTrack, which makes that process easier. It helps you to pitch your music, whether it's to influencers, like music supervisors, like DJs, like record labels, like playlist curators, like bloggers. Um, and it also works as a tool to kind of manage your music catalog, understand who's interacting with it, who's playing your music, who's downloading it, how far into the song are people listening, really gives you more data and insights that from an A&R perspective can help you improve your music um, and find the right match with the, the right opportunity for it. So drop track is something that originally came out of a pain I felt as an independent musician and producer and record label owner that was trying to get my music heard. And, uh, you know, originally when I was first starting my record label out of college, I, you know, thought, wow, this is great. I've got all these talented artists and great music and we put it out on iTunes and Spotify. And then what? Right. You're competing with thousands of other great songs that are put out every single day. Yeah. How do you move the needle, for lack of better words? How do you get heard by a wider audience and, and really cut through that noise? And, you know, what I found is you want to go after these people with an existing audience. You want to get the music placed in a TV show because that's going to expose it to, you know, way more people at one time than it would take to reach them individually uh, with a Facebook ad or by sending one-off emails to people. Um, and so DropTrack really came out of that pain. Uh, I have a background. In addition to my music background, I've also been in the like tech and programming industry. So I built the tool mm. as a software for myself. Um, it worked. I was able to secure placements and sync licenses for my music and the music on my label using the tool I built. So I thought, wow, this would be useful as a product for other labels, other independent artists. And it's kind of just been growing organically ever since then. Yeah, you've done a great job of describing what it is. And so it's going to kind of sound strange for me to ask you this. So I'll ask it two different ways. Who should use DropTrack, but also who should not use DropTrack? Yeah, so who should use DropTrack? We are a marketplace, so we serve a number of different industry segments. Primarily for your audience, it's independent musicians, bands, music producers, content creators that have music that is finished and is ready to be marketed and, and promoted. Mm, okay. um, we also serve record labels and DJs and music supervisors and playlist curators because they use DropTrack to receive music um, and to also promote their music you know, among themselves after they've already, you know, achieved whatever level of, of success in the industry. Um, but to answer the other part of your question, who should not use DropTrack? Um, it really is for pre-release music. So it's for music that is ready to be promoted. It's not necessarily for in-progress works where, um, you know, you just started using GarageBand or you downloaded Ableton for the first time, you've you know, thrown your, your song together and now you're going to send it to the BBC. Um, it's unlikely that DropTrack is going to be a good fit for you in that case, but um, 
you know, you can, you're, you're welcome to try. Uh, okay. We have lots of great resources to help you contact people like that. Um, whether or not they will sign your music is, is another question. Okay. Okay. Well, before we wrap up here, last question is on a related note, please share with the audience all about No Ego Records. Yeah. So No Ego Records is my record label that has been in business for 11 years now. Wow. wow. It feels funny to started it in 2010. Uh, as primarily a venue to release my music and music of my friends and uh, classmates from a audio engineering and music production school that I was in at the time. And I recognized, you know, there's a lot of this great music. I have some very talented friends and they just don't know the next step. They don't know how to get their music um, heard by more than their family and friends and and how to, to really have a chance at, at making a, a business out of their music. And so I, you know, started this label. I raised some money from some friends. I brought on a, a, um, a co-founder and we, you know, really went to work at signing talented artists, releasing music. Uh, it was primarily focused in the electronic dance music genre, a lot of house music, dubstep at the time. Um, and what we found is the real demand for this music, like I was explaining earlier, is in sync licensing and in placements on film and TV shows where they have a budget for music, but not for Skrillex, not for Dead Mouse, not for the you know top line um, EDM artists of the day, yeah. but they wanted something that sounded like that. And so we built a real business um, through our catalog of licensing our music to these TV shows um, and throughout um, using sub-publishers of our catalog throughout the world. So it's a, a small business. It's still only two people that work on it part-time, um, you know, in addition to everything else that we're doing. But, you know, I, I can say after 11 years in business, still profitable. And, you know, I, I think that's probably uncommon for a lot of record labels, especially in this day and age. But what about for the guy or gal that's listening right now that's saying, well, can No Ego Records take a look at me? Are you are you quote unquote open for business for people trying to contact you to say I would love to get signed by No Ego Records, or is it more kind of a like you said in house kind of thing for your own music and your friends that you've worked with, and the focus is more on drop track? So I'm always open to new talented artists. We are currently accepting demos. Um, you can submit a demo from our website noegorecords.com as you'll notice the demo submission form actually uses drop track so that's uh, a, a way that kind of eating my own dog food with the tool there <laughs> but it uh yeah no, absolutely open to talented artists at this time you know we're open to all kinds of genres we've done like i mentioned primarily dance and electronic music but we've done a couple hip-hop records a country record um some pop records wow um so definitely open to you know anything that sounds good wonderful Wonderful. Well, Paul, it's been really great having you on the show. We really covered a lot, and I appreciate all the wisdom that you shared. Thank you so much for coming on Now Hear This Entertainment. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to musician Paul Loeb, who runs both Drop Track and No Ego Records. Again, find the latter online at noegorecords.com. And for his other company, the website is droptrack.com, and I will put a link to that on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. There are social media icons on droptrack.com to engage with the company on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure that you tell them that you heard Paul and his information about DropTrack on Now Hear This Entertainment. 
Again, do make sure that you're signed up for the weekly e-newsletter that I send out every Wednesday. Just go to the show website, nhte.net, to be sure that you're signed up for that. For now, that will do it for episode 366. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. 